Morning. morning. Welcome to Riverview Baptist Church on this Sunday, November morning. It's good to have you all here worshiping with us in the house of God today. If you're uh, maybe out in the halls, you've not entered the sanctuary yet, but you can hear my voice. It's time to come on in for worship. As we begin, I'd like to give you just a few announcements of things that are happening at Riverview in the next days and weeks and months and uh, the, uh, the life and ministry at Riverview Baptist. So get out your calendar. I've got a couple of things for you to take note of. First and foremost, today, there's two very special things happening today uh, that you should be aware of. The first is that right after the service this morning, we're going to ask everybody here to move forward uh, to the, the front of the sanctuary and kind of fill in some of the pews and come forward here. And we're going to take a big group picture of our church Uh, Because the reason we're doing that is you may or may not be aware that uh, since the COVID shutdown happened back in March, there are about 50 people, 50 people that have always been a part, a regular part of of Riverview Baptist. They've been a part of the life and ministry of our church. And since COVID has hit, they have not been back. And we would like to uh, remember them and to send them a picture of your smiling faces so that they can know that you're thinking of them and uh, you're praying for them. So right at the end of the service today, come forward to the the front of the sanctuary, do so in an orderly manner, maintain that distance, Uh, but come forward. We're going to have a group picture taken very quickly uh, to, to let those 50 or so people from our church that haven't been back yet to church know that we're thinking about them. All right, so that's one thing today. The second thing today is, again, right after the service, if you'd like to become a member or at least know more about what it means to be a member at Riverview, we're going to have a special lunch for you today right after the morning service. It's going to be right over at at my house. Uh, My wife and I would love to host you for lunch. Just go out the back door here, follow the sidewalk off to the side. It'll take you right to our back door. Um, so if you'd like to become a member at Riverview or just maybe just, you know, what is a member? What's, what does being a member at a church even look like? I'd like to know more about that. Come on over for lunch. We'll talk all about it today for just a little while, and uh, you, can, you can follow the Lord after that. Um, so keep those two things in mind today. Right after the service, come forward for that group picture, and then if you'd like to be a member or know about membership at Riverview, join us for lunch over at uh, our house, and we'd be happy to get you that kind of information. Third, Operation Christmas Child is coming to a close today. And now we have a goal here at Riverview for the number of shoeboxes that we're collecting. And of course, this is an odd year for Operation Christmas Child. So what we're encouraging you to do is to fill a shoebox online, virtually, which you can do through the Operation Christmas Child website. You can pick what goes in the box. You can pay for it all right there. And you can be a part of what God is doing on the other side of the world by filling out one of those virtual boxes, and they'll make sure it gets shipped and everything. Now, at the beginning of this, we had a goal of getting 40 virtual shoeboxes, 40, 40 virtual shoeboxes filled from our people at Riverview. As of today, right now, stand at 37, okay, 37 shoeboxes. Today's the last day. We'd love to get 40 of those virtual shoeboxes filled by tonight. So go to the... Christmas Child website, fill up one of those boxes there, and they will get shipped to the other parts of the world where people need to hear the gospel, and you can be a part of that. Otherwise, be bringing those shoe boxes. Those are due as well, so the physical shoe boxes. Um, that's all I have for you for announcements. So one more special announcement before we really get going here. I'm going to ask you to take a look at the screen for a special announcement. After the death of a loved one, you may be worried about the upcoming holiday season. 
I used to say, um, I wish I could go to sleep the day before Thanksgiving and wake up January 2nd. Introducing Grief Share Surviving the Holidays, a special one-time event that helps you make it through the holiday season. It features an informative video that shows you how to plan your holiday season so you're not overwhelmed by it. You'll also learn how to survive holiday parties and get-togethers, how to handle loneliness, and you'll discover how you can gradually begin enjoying the holiday season again. The Surviving the Holidays video features the wisdom and perspectives of 13 grief recovery experts and interviews with many people who've wrestled with grief during the holiday season. At Grief Share Surviving the Holidays, you'll also have the opportunity to talk about how you're feeling about the holiday season and what you've learned in the video. Plus, you'll receive a holiday survival guide. It will give you the ongoing support and wisdom you'll need this holiday season. To learn more about Grief Share Surviving the Holidays, talk to the Grief Share leader at your church and visit griefshare.org holidays. everyone there has lost a spouse or a parent in the last year. And so this is a very difficult time for them as we're coming up on Christmas and uh, the loss will be so real to them. So I wanted to do this event for them and also for those of you who may know somebody um, that could probably benefit or be encouraged by this uh, type of event. Unfortunately, we have to limit the group uh, we aren't to have more than 10 participants. So if you know of someone, they really need to register. They have to be pre-registered and it has to be soon. So um, just think about that. And if there's someone you know, please invite them. And you'll see flyers like this out on the information table that you can take and pass on to someone. And lastly, I again want to thank all of you so much for your encouragement for this ministry and for your prayers. And this is all God's doing, and people are coming to know the comfort that God can give, and they're sharing that, how they realize they need to give back to God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thanks, Phyllis. Great ministry opportunity for those who are struggling with grief. Grief, great opportunity for you. If you know somebody who is going through a time of grief to introduce them to grief share and uh, to also minister to them in this time of need. So keep that in mind, uh, the Surviving the Holidays uh, workshop. As we continue in worship this morning now, we want to go to the Lord in prayer and start there and ask him to join us, to be among us this morning and to focus our hearts and our thoughts on him. Uh, would you pray with me? Our Father God, Notice this morning, there can be numerous things that are on our minds and our hearts weighing us down uh, when we gather together for worship. Lord, I ask that there would be a clear vision of here today. Lord, a clear sight 
of the healing wrought through the power of your gospel. Lord, a clear hope in the restoration and redemption that you offer to each one who trusts in you. Lord, help us to focus on you and on your glory here today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we read from our scripture for today from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, rejoice, excuse me, verse 2, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let's stand and rejoice this morning in song.
be seated. Well, this morning we want to go before the Lord in a time of prayer, and I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks have been full. Uh, full of all kinds of stuff in the media, right? I mean, all kinds of uh, disagreements and back and forth. And, you know, if you turn on the, the TV or you go online or anything, you just see all of this, this strife and bitterness and anger and uh, division in our country, a lack of trust, suspicions, of, uh, suspicion of everyone for basically anything. And it can be hard to come here on a Sunday morning and just still your heart and say, Lord, speak to me through your word, even throughout all the noise and all the other things that are happening that we see going on everywhere. But that's what we do here on Sunday mornings. And it's so refreshing, I don't know about you for you, but for me to come here to sing with you and to just refocus myself on the truth of God, on the glory of God, what God is doing in the world, even in and amongst the mess of everything going on. God is still at work. You know, he's not at work outside of the mess, but he's actually involved in the mess, even working through all of those difficult and, you know, just ugh, ugh, kind of things that are going on in our nation these days. And so we come here this morning to, to refocus ourselves on God. Refocus ourselves on His Word and His direction for us and whatever part of the, uh, the world that we occupy, that little space, to say, Lord, be king here. Reign as king here and let me be your ambassador in just this little area that you have me. And so I want to encourage you as we go to prayer this morning to really keep that in your focus this morning as we pray together, as we go to God's Word together here in just a moment. Focus on the Lord and what He has for you and let's ask him to use us powerfully in the midst of the mess and everything that's going on in the world and in our lives. And certainly each one of us brings our own set of baggage here every time we gather for worship. So let's focus on God and go to him in prayer right now. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do come before you this morning, Lord, in of so much of the, the tumult and the, everything that's happening in our society, Lord, in our arenas that rule over our nation, Lord, maybe even in our hearts today, as we come here with, like we said, our own personal baggage, the issues that each one of us struggles with. But God, let there be a sense as we come here today that you are Lord, and that you are reigning over the mess that we might be swimming in right now. Lord, maybe it's even a mess of our own creation, but Lord, you are still sovereign. You are still good. You are always at work, always powerful. Lord, always moving and accomplishing your purposes for the good of your people. And so, Lord, if nothing else, we come here today to praise you for that, that you are a good and sovereign God. God, focus our minds this morning on your goodness. Lord, focus our minds this morning on the unity that we have in Christ who through his powerful gospel gathered together, called out to people for his very own. And Lord, here we are among that people. Lord, focus our hearts and our thoughts on that unity, on the power of that gospel, knowing that it has the power to transform hearts, that it has the power to heal every hurt, and Lord, to bring peace between every warring faction because of the peace that was purchased for your church at the cross. Lord, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
God, give us that peace today, knowing of the sure certainty that we have in you. God, I pray for for those this morning who are in the midst of some kind of personal upheaval. Lord, may they experience that peace today as they hear from your word through the power of your spirit. God, I pray for the peace of those who are suffering physically in some way. And Lord, maybe there's been a recent diagnosis or there's been a recent illness or a surgery that's upcoming. Lord, grant that peace of the security that they have in the gospel. And Lord, as we go from here today, as we leave, we're going to be going back into that crazy world with all kinds of things happening and fights and disagreements and arguments and illnesses and unexpected accidents and tragedies. Lord, as we go from here back into that, make us an ambassador of that same peace. Lord, to see where you are at work in the world, even in the messes that exist. And Lord, that we might join you where you, at work, where you are at work, to take up our cross and follow you in what you are doing in this world. God bless us this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would give us a peculiar sense of unity and fellowship with one another, knowing that those who are in you have that peace. And Lord, may that peace be the foundation of our unity and our fellowship together. And Lord, may we come to see all of the other things going on in this world through the lens of that peace. God, help us today as we seek to live for you and follow you and glory. Lord, help us today as we seek to meet you in your word. Lord, help us today as we seek to hear you speak to us through your word. Spirit, we ask that you would move us and empower us today to follow after Jesus. God, we ask that you would do these things for the sake of our good and yet for your glory. And we ask them in Jesus' name. We come to a time in our service now where we'd like to uh, support the work of God's church here in West St. Paul through our tithes and our offerings. There's a few ways that you can give to the ministry here at Riverview. There's a secure lockbox out in the foyer. You can drop a gift in there. You can give on riverviewbaptist.net slash give and uh, just follow the instructions on that website to be able to give safely and securely there. Or you can actually text an amount that you'd like in your phone to 651-362-1571 and just follow the instructions that your phone gives you. It is a smartphone after all. It can give you instructions and uh, just follow those instructions and you can give securely by text even. And now we'd like to turn to God's word together. We're coming to uh, the close of our series in the book of Philippians. We're almost through the entire book of Philippians here in chapter 4. Something we've gone a little bit out of order. Some of you may or may not have known, but my family was exposed to a, uh, COVID last week, and so we had to take an unexpected Sunday off as we stayed home. Thankfully, uh, Pastor Levi was actually scheduled to preach this week, and so he and I just flip-flopped those weeks. So he, he did verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4 last week. We're going to do 2 through this week. So a bit out of order, but this is what Philippians 4, verses 2 through 7 says, Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side with me in the gospel together 
and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word among us this morning. Let's stand and sing together one more time as our worship team leads us. Bible yet to Philippians chapter 4, please do so now. Again, we'll be in verses 2 through 7 or taking a specific look at those verses this morning. Philippians 4, verses 2 through 7. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about a man named Tom Rayner. You may have heard his name. He, he's quite prominent on the internet, I guess. He works with the Southern Baptist Convention as a, kind of a statistics analyst, and he analyzes statistical trends within the American church, and he conducts polling and surveys of churches and Christians all over the country and then uh, on various topics, and then he, he compiles the data and he analyzes the trends and he writes books, basically, is what he does. But back in 2015, he did a formal survey about church conflict, and so he contacted churches all across the country to ask about church conflict. 
But just for fun, kind of, if you want to call it fun, on his Twitter page, he actually also conducted an informal survey looking to hear about some of the issues that cause conflict in churches. And here's the results of that informal survey. This is what, so these are some of the responses he got. In one church that somebody told him about, there was a significant disagreement in the church about which picture of Jesus to hang in the foyer that created conflict in the church. In another church, there was an argument among the church leadership about which type of filing cabinet to purchase for the church office. Two, three, or four drawers. And should we get brown or black? These are, these are serious things. And we need to go to the mats when we argue about this. Uh, ladies, believe it or not, one church had an argument about whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. Believe it or not. Should we do that? I don't know. We should probably have an argument about that. One church argued about whether or not they should use the term potluck or pot blessing. Another church argued about whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the potluck. I'm not making this up. These are real. Another church had an argument over which some members actually left the church because they couldn't agree on the type of coffee they should serve. In yet another church, there was a fight over whether or not to require that all the pastoral staff be clean-shaven. And if beards were allowed, what should the appropriate length be? Now, just on that one, (laughs) if you want to argue about that, you're not going to win. Considering our pastoral staff right now, I don't think any of us are clean-shaven and the length is is an issue. (laughs) Now, I think we would all probably agree that those are pretty silly things for a church to fight about. But Tom Rayner, this guy who does these surveys, he actually did conduct a more serious survey about the top reasons churches have conflict. And here are the top five. This is legit, okay? These are the top five. Number one, the number one reason that churches have arguments and disagreements is the start time of the worship service. That is what causes the most conflict in American churches, the start time of the worship service. Second, Members disagree about how to deal with a pastor or staff member involved in a moral failing. Number three, the length of the worship service. Number four, who in the church has the authority to make decisions for the church causes conflict. And then finally, number five, there is continued conflict, as there has been for many years now in American churches, over the style of music used in the worship service. Those are the top five reasons that churches in America have conflict. And as we've talked about before, during this season of COVID, I wouldn't be surprised to see that mask wearing would go up somewhere on that list as well, which the Lord has so far spared from us as a church, thankfully. It turns out when you get a bunch of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds in one community, there's friction between us, right? Who knew? I don't think any of us are surprised by that. It's easy for conflict to arise in the church, and frankly, it's usually over trivial, stupid things, things that aren't worth fighting about. The old cliche is that we fight over the color of the carpeting, or we fight over music style, or whatever it may be. But you know what? This is not a problem of the modern church. Conflict and disagreement have existed in the church since it began. Because again, when you bring numerous people from different backgrounds together who have different values and cultural norms, there is going to be conflict. And we've even seen that here at Riverview. 
We have had conflict in our church. Maybe you have even experienced conflict in, uh, in the church here at Riverview. Well, it was part of the Philippian church as well, and Paul addresses it in our passage for today. Look at verse 2 again. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there are these two women in the Philippian church, Euodia and Syntyche, who are part of the church, and they have a disagreement with one another. We don't know what that disagreement was. Paul never tells us. But we do know that their disagreement was relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of things. In other words, we know that they weren't fighting over essential issues like false teaching or some a foundational theological principle that would put one of them outside of the faith. And we know this because Paul says that both of them are faithful gospel ministers alongside himself and that their names are written in the book of life. So these are two Christian women in the church who have a disagreement over something that is non-essential, something that is not eternally significant, if you will. Maybe like one of those issues we heard about just a moment ago. And in the end, it doesn't really matter what the issue was because the Bible doesn't say. But Paul's instruction to them is that they should agree in the Lord. They're having this fight, this conflict in the church, and Paul says, I entreat both of them to agree in the Lord. Now notice something very important here. Paul doesn't just want them to agree or even to agree to disagree. Instead, he says they should agree in the Lord. Now, what does Paul mean by that? I think it's this. Paul is saying that there are numerous things that we could fight about. We could fight over what kind of coffee to serve, or the color of the carpeting, or whatever other cliche you want to insert. But instead of focusing on those things, let's instead focus on our agreement in the Lord. In other words, find your common ground in Christ not on your shared taste in carpet color or music style. Their agreement in the Lord runs far deeper than any of the trivial differences that Euodia and Syntyche may argue about. So that agreement in Christ should have far more influence on what those two women say and do and how they treat one another than their opinions about the color of the carpet. Now the question is, how do we agree in the Lord? Paul says he wants these two ladies to agree in the Lord, and we've seen why that's important. Now how do we do that? How do we agree in the Lord and kind of use that as a way to address the conflict and the tensions that might rise up amongst us? Because let's be frank, I mean, we do have issues. <laughs> every single one of us has issues. We, every single one of us has preferences, the way that we would like things to be done. And in some cases, we hold those preferences and those beliefs and those values very strongly. And it is relatively easy for that to cause friction between us. And I'm not talking about serious things like doctrine or theology, although that can fit into that category too, uh, because people can just harp on little tiny bits of theology that, again, don't have any kind of eternal significance. But I'm mostly talking about relatively trivial things here. Although we have to admit that our tendency is usually to take those trivial things and to elevate them into some inflated place that they don't belong. 
In other words, our, our tendency is to take the little things and make them big things. And I've been using the cliche so far of the color of the carpeting, and it is cliche, but at the same time, it's a very real issue that has caused very significant division in churches. Not here, but in other churches. Here, we've talked about this again before, mask wearing. Uh, in our Christian culture, uh, the Christian subculture, that is, has somehow become the ultimate standard by which we now judge fidelity to Scripture and Christ-likeness. And I think that goes on both sides of the issue. You don't wear a mask while you're not being Christ-like. You do wear a mask, you've forgotten about your freedom, you're not being Christ-like. So that's become the issue now. Something as trivial as mask wearing has become an issue in many churches. And we might chuckle about that and shake our heads about that, but it happens so often and you who are chuckling and shaking your head like me have probably done something very similar. I've gotten mad about stupid things. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've created division. I have created divisions between myself and other people about stupid, trivial things. And if you haven't done it at church, then I'm sure you've dealt with this in your home. And if you haven't dealt with it in your home, I'm sure you've, you've dealt with it at work. It's only a matter of time before either you or someone you love gets angry about something comparatively trivial. And for that thing to just blow up into a, a five-alarm fire. So we've kind of been making light of this to a degree so far, but I don't want you to think that what we're talking about is you know, purely trivial here. This is serious. Because these little things have the, the, the occasion to blow up into big things. And so this is a, a big deal. But Paul has a solution, and he says it again. Agree in the Lord. Now, how do we do that? That's what he's going to describe here in these next verses, I think. Let's take a look at it. First, we agree in the Lord by rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I w again, I will say, rejoice now, this is hugely important because typically what you can't do in the midst of a disagreement or an argument is rejoice. Remember, he's telling Euodia and Syntyche, who have this disagreement between them, he's telling these two women, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. And if you think about it, while you're disagreeing with someone, it's hard to rejoice with them over anything. I mean, the, the disagreement that Euodia and Syntyche had, whatever it was, they couldn't rejoice over their shared love of the same color of carpet. But what could they rejoice over? They could rejoice together in the Lord. Think of the last major disagreement you had with somebody. Maybe, uh, maybe it was you know, somebody here at the church. Maybe it was uh, your spouse at home. Think about, get that disagreement in your mind. I want to ask you this question. Would it be possible for the two of you to unite in worship and prayer even as that disagreement rages? In fact, this can kind of become a litmus test for us whether or not we're arguing about the right things in the right way. Because even if we're arguing, you and I should still be able to, dis, uh, to rejoice in the Lord with your fellow brothers and sisters with whom you have disagreements, you should still be able to rejoice in the Lord together. And if you can't, you're forgetting the gospel. You're forgetting the unity in Christ that, that Christ gave you, Christ won for you through his death. Because in Christ, we can and should be able to rejoice together, even if we disagree on a lot of other things. 
to to agree in the Lord, find a reason to rejoice with those with whom you disagree. And the obvious reason is Christ. Second, to agree in the Lord, Paul says, be reasonable. In verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. See, if we agree in the Lord, then it should be easy to be reasonable about virtually anything else. In other words, our agreement in Christ reframes our disagreement on other issues. We should see the disagreement in a different light because of the agreement that we have in the Lord. And the fact that I love you as a brother or a sister in Christ with whom I have unity is the foundation now for you and I to sit down and talk about our differences reasonably. I can be reasonable with you because I love you in Christ and because you and I together rejoice in him. A couple of weeks before the election... Uh, John Piper, who many of you know, a renowned preacher, author, and thinker, wrote an article about why he believed President Trump had disqualified himself from office and why Christians should not vote for him. It was a, a rather significant article that was released online, and it caused quite a stir online because he spoke very definitively about his position. He said that President Trump was not qualified for office and that In his perspective, Christians should not cast their vote for him. But about a week after John Piper wrote that article, another prominent and influential theologian named Wayne Grudem also wrote an article in response to John Piper. And Grudem was, at the time, and I assume he still is, a huge Trump supporter. And so his article in response to Piper gave reasons for why Christians could and should support Donald Trump from Grudem's perspective. But there was something hugely significant happening outside of the argument of words these two men were having. Because they had a severe disagreement about their political viewpoints, Wayne Grudem and John Piper. They did not agree or see eye to eye at all politically. But there was something very important as they went back and forth with one another. It was a tremendous example of how two men with significant disagreements can still agree in the Lord and be reasonable with one another. I want to read you the opening paragraph of Wayne Grudem's article in response to John Piper. Here's what he says. He says, John Piper has been a friend, a good and faithful friend for more than 40 years. I thank God for his remarkable worldwide ministry, his evident deep love for God, his faithfulness to every word of scripture, and the way his life of self-sacrifice continues to provide a challenge to me personally. When we have opportunities to be together, I enjoy every minute of conversation with him. I pray for him regularly as I believe he does for me. That's how Wayne Grudem started his article of severe disagreement with John Piper. Do you know what that is? That is two men who disagree significantly on issues, and yet they rejoice in the Lord always. They find their unity in their shared commonality in the gospel. And Wayne Grudem here, he focused on their agreement in the Lord, and then he went on to list his significant disagreements. But you know what he did? He was reasonable. He was reasonable because he has that commonality with his brother in Christ. And in the end, those disagreements that Wayne Grudem and and John Piper have, you know what they are? They're trivial compared to their commonality that they have in Christ. And so that's what Paul means when he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
Yeah, they had severe disagreements, but they could be reasonable because they rejoiced together in the Lord. They agreed in the Lord. And in light of what we have in Christ together, we are to be reasonable when we disagree. And then next, in order to agree in the Lord, remember that the Lord is at hand. Look at verse 5. The last five words of verse 5, Paul simply says, the Lord is at hand. Paul says this seemingly out of nowhere as though he just kind of wants to interject that objective reality into the conversation. Hey, by the way, don't forget, the Lord is at hand here, people. But this is actually another way that, that we can agree with each other, that we can agree in the Lord. The fact that Jesus is coming back soon should reframe the things that you and I argue about. It should focus our current energies on making peace and getting back to being busy with the work of the gospel rather than squabbling over trivial matters. There's that old question that asks, if Jesus came back right now, what would he find you doing? And would it be something that you'd want him to see? And we can adapt that question a little bit to ask, if Jesus came back right now, what would he find us fighting about? Would he find us... What would he find us fighting for? Things that matter or trivial things? You see, the imminent return of Christ should reshape how we think about our disagreements. The reality is that God has given the church a job to do until he comes back. So are we going to focus on carrying out that mission or on trivial things? That's why Paul says this, I think, at the end of verse 5. Don't forget, the Lord is at hand. Euodia and Syntyche, this disagreement you, ha you have with one another, you need to remember the Lord is at hand. And so within that knowledge, you should rethink your disagreement. Or that should at least shape the way you think about your disagreement. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus came back and he found us arguing about something trivial rather than preaching the gospel? What a tragedy that would be. What a waste of time and energy on our part if we spend our time bickering and fighting over comparatively and relatively trivial things compared to the task that God has given us to be faithful, to preach the gospel to all nations. Let's not be found when he comes back arguing about stupid things. Listen, people, the Lord is at hand, so agree in the Lord. And not about, you know, all these goofy color carpeting, music style, masks, whatever the issue is. Get back to work declaring the gospel in word and deed. That's what we want to be found doing when Jesus comes back. And then finally, Paul says that to agree in the Lord with others, you should actually pray for yourself. You should pray for your own peace over the issue. Look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think Paul is writing these words here again in the context of this disagreement that Euodia and Syntyche are having. And Paul says, first, do not be anxious about anything. And again, what I think he's referring to here is that disagreement that arose between these women and the disagreements that arise between us. 
And like we said earlier, isn't it easy to let those little things become big things until soon they're occupying our thoughts and they're all we're thinking about every day is that little thing that has exploded into something huge between me and someone else. And so we spend our time strategizing and planning out what we're going to say during the next argument that we have with that person on that issue. I'm going to say this the next time. And after a while, that disagreement has consumed our lives and it's probably over something small. And Paul says here in verse 6, don't do that. Remember that you agree in the Lord with people you have disagreements with. So don't let the issue fester in your heart and mind. Don't let it consume you. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say or do next. Instead, he says to pray about it. But But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about the disagreement. Pray about the disagreements you have with people. Pray for the people that you have the disagreement with. But we have to take just a moment there to say how you should pray for that person you have the disagreement with because I think usually when we pray for that people, we say, dear Lord, please let this idiot come to see things my way. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. This prayer is focused on you. Instead of stewing on the disagreement which builds anxiety in you, Bring that to God in prayer and ask him to help you address the issue. And do it, Paul says, in a spirit of thanksgiving. What? Thanksgiving? What is there to be thankful for in the midst of an argument? Well, it's a good question, and I think that's really Paul's point. This kind of prayer forces you to think outside the box about your disagreement. It forces you to see it in a different light. It forces you to see the disagreement as God sees it. It even allows you to put yourself in the place of the other person that you're disagreeing with. And something powerful happens when we humble ourselves to agree in the Lord in this way. Look at verse 7. It says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So listen. If you go into these disagreements that we have with one another, knowing that you're agreeing in the Lord together, you're rejoicing in the Lord together, and so you're going to be reasonable with one another, and more than that, I'm going to pray that I won't stew on this issue, and I'm actually going to pray for that other person that I have the disagreement with. Paul says, if you will go through that and agree in the Lord, the peace of God will come to your heart and to your mind. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be yours. God will give you a supernatural peace as you go through this world of of disagreements and disunity and division. And Paul even says that this peace is going to guard your heart and your mind. It's going to guard it from the division that could come between you and someone else when you have disagreements. God will grant you a peace about the trivial thing you're upset about so that you don't divide with other believers over it. And if we agree in the Lord in these ways, not only does it help us to see the disagreement that we have in a different light, but it protects us from vilifying one another. Well, you don't like that kind of carpet? What kind of moron are you? It protects us from that kind of attitude. It protects us from a church split because of a different disagreement about the kind of coffee we serve but it even protects us from more serious disagreements. Some of you know that last month, um, myself and a few others sat down for a meeting with still some other people. There were six of us in total. uh, And we had some severe disagreements within that group on cultural issues, particularly a biblical approach 
to cultural issues. And we wanted to meet together to express our disagreements, to be heard, right, to, to express ourselves well so that we're all clear about where the disagreement lies and to find a way forward in light of these disagreements. And so we all met, um, actually last month, but before we got around to the meat of our meeting, before we started airing our grievances, we first acknowledged together, all six of us in that room, that we have these disagreements, yes, but in light of these disagreements on these various cultural issues, we agree in the Lord. And do you know what happened when we started the meeting that way and we talked to each other and we said, yes, we have disagreements, but we're brothers, we're brothers in Christ. We're coming here today under the banner of Christ. And we all acknowledge that and affirm that to one another. And then we had the meeting and the gloves came off and we talked seriously with one another about our disagreements. And you know what happened? The peace of Christ guarded our hearts and minds. It guarded us from vilifying one another. It guarded us from thinking, you moron, why can't you just see things the way I see them? We didn't have those those kinds of thoughts. Because the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guarded our hearts and our minds. And so we left that meeting still in disagreement. I don't think anybody changed their minds after that meeting. We all knew where we were coming from, but nobody changed their minds. But we were very reasonable with one another because we agree in the Lord, because we know that the Lord is at hand. And we remain brothers in Christ who disagree on a lot of things but who agree in the Lord. And that's the only thing that matters. And listen, when we agree in the Lord, even when we disagree about other issues, here's what happens. The world sees, okay? The world sees. When Christians fight, the world is watching. And you know what happens when, when Christians fight over the kind of coffee that is served at the church and the church splits? The world sees that and says, what power is there in that gospel? What power to unite does that teaching have? None. These people can't agree about coffee and they take their ball and go home. That's what the world sees. But when we agree in the Lord, you know what the message is? And we have disagreements and we work through them and we love one another and we're reasonable with one another and we unite because we know that the church is to be about the business of declaring the gospel because the Lord is at hand. And so we get through the disagreements in love and we maintain our brother. And our family, as a family of Christ, you know what the world sees then? The world sees a powerful gospel that transforms hearts, that changes people, that overcomes all of the differences and all of the potential for friction and pushback. The world sees that that gospel that we believe is more powerful than what divides us. And that is a powerful, powerful testimony to the world, when we agree in the Lord. The gospel has the power to bring us together. That's the message. And now, as you know, and as I kind of alluded to here this morning already, we live in a country, in a cultural context presently, in which there is more severe division between people than I think really at any other time in my life that I can remember. Just a couple of weeks ago, 78 million Americans voted for Joe Biden, and 73 million voted for Donald Trump. And as the news has pointed out numerous times, that is an extremely thin margin, almost right down the middle. We can say the nation is divided. What about the church? 
If we can agree in the Lord with one another, we can be an example that the power of the gospel overcomes those things that divide us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to all automatically agree with one another on every single issue, but that we have the right perspective about what is important and that we, as, the, as a church, we place Christ and his gospel as a higher priority than any other thing. That is where we find our unity at Riverview, not in politics, not in a shared carpet color or musical style, but in Christ, in his death and resurrection, and the power of his gospel to transform the heart of anybody who believes it. And if we can agree in the Lord, we become a shining example of that power. We say, look at the world and look how, how many different things divide people in the world into all these groups and categories and, oh, you're one of those? Well, I'm one of these, so we're not going to have anything to do with each other. That's the way the world works. The gospel comes in and tears all of that down, gives you a new heart with new desires, and you unite with other people who have been likewise saved by the power of that gospel. And folks, this is not just true here in the church. But spouses, I want to talk to you for just a second. This is also true in your home, in your marriage, in your family. Listen, spouses, did you know that before you are husband and wife, you are brother and sister in the Lord? Your connection in Christ is even closer than your connection in marriage. And when you and your spouse agree in the Lord, your marriage becomes a testimony of the power of the gospel. And listen, even and especially in your disagreements with one another. Husbands and wives disagree, they fight, they argue over things. And when you agree in the Lord and you put those disagreements and those fights in the proper perspective compared to your agreement in the Lord, your marriage becomes a testimony of the power of the gospel. Here are two wicked, sinful people who are very different and can fight with one another with the drop of the hat. But Christ has redeemed them. He has given them new hearts new minds, new desires, and now they agree in the Lord. Do they agree on everything else? No. And they don't have to. That's not the point. The point is they agree in the Lord. That is the overarching commonality between them, what God has done in the gospel. And so in response to this, this reality of agreement in the Lord, I just want to ask you, before we make an issue out of something, we need to make sure that what we're going to make an issue about is worth fighting about. And let me tell you, I'm not saying today that, you know, anytime you disagree with somebody, you should just suck it up and buck it up and, and go about with your life. No, some things are worth fighting about. Some things are worth going to the mats over. There are important things, doctrinal issues, gospel issues, not coffee, not carpet color. Those are not those. Some things are worth defending, but not all things. So the question for us is, what is worth arguing about? Again, I would say gospel issues, issues that threaten the, that threaten the integrity of the message of the gospel, we need to be ready to defend. And I am perfectly willing and even eager to argue about gospel issues and to do so reasonably, yet passionately. But considering what we are put here to do, which is to preach the gospel and prepare for the coming of Christ, what is worth fighting about? We all need to ask that question. Again, husbands and, and wives, think about that the next time you guys are about to get into it. Considering that the Lord is at hand, considering that we agree in the, world, in the Lord, how should that reshape this argument I'm about to have? And again, this is not to minimize or trivialize any of our 
other disagreements. They are real, they are important, but they are not as important as the gospel. And they are certainly not as important as our unity in Christ. We need to have the proper understanding of the eternal significance of our more minor disagreements in comparison with the eternal significance of our unity and our faithfulness to be about what God has called us to do. Now again, just one last thing in light of what has taken place in our country the last two weeks. What do we do about our nation? Our nation which is so divided. How do we bring unity to our nation? Well, I need to tell you, we won't be unified on any political or ideological grounds. There is just no hope for agreement or unity on those grounds. We simply can't agree when it comes to politics. We simply can't agree when it comes to ideology. We're not going to agree. And quite frankly, we don't have to agree in those areas. Then how do we bring unity to our nation? Well, in order for our nation to be united, it must be united around something that transcends all political theory and ideology. It must be united around Christ. There must be agreement in the Lord. Not just agreement, but agreement in the Lord. Christ is the only thing, the only one who transcends all other differences that exist between people. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't important political battles to fight. There are. I'm not saying that you shouldn't defend your biblical worldview. You should. I'm not saying that you should abandon your ideology. You shouldn't. Those are all important and necessary and worthwhile pursuits. But might I also be so bold as to insist that they are trivial compared to our faithfulness to our first task of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we are gospel people before we are anything or anyone else. And if we desire unity in our nation, the trenches where we fight that battle are not in the halls of Congress. They are against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the battle for unity in our nation takes place. And the weapon of our warfare is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want unity in our nation? I'll tell you this, then be a faithful minister of the gospel. That is your first task as a Christian. I would say that is your first task as an American, to be a faithful minister of the gospel. That will bring unity when we agree in the Lord. Again, I'm not talking about a theocracy or anything like that. But the church being about the business of God, being faithful ministers of the gospel and seeing other people come into the fold, have their own hearts transformed and find that same unity that we have found. But listen, we don't do this for unity's sake. We don't preach the gospel because we want a united nation. That's just a a, a blessing that comes from the gospel. Instead, we want to preach the gospel so we can be faithful ministers of the gospel because that is what God has called you to do and us to do corporately as a church. That's our goal. We want to agree. We want to agree in the Lord. We want unity amongst our homes, our families, our churches, our nation, and even in our world. And again, Revelation 7 gives you a vision of that. All of the people that God has saved gathered together under the banner of Christ, calling out, holy, holy, holy. 
And so the application question, I think, to each one of us is, what's my part in that? How do I agree with others in the Lord? And how do I bring others to agree in the Lord, to find that same unity? Lord, use me to declare your word, your gospel to the nations. Let's pray. Our Father God, it's hard to go through a passage like this without, again, just having in the back of our minds all of the different ways that we divide ourselves from one another, all the different divisions that exist in this world and the disagreements that we have with one another. And Lord, sometimes and so often over trivial things, things that just don't make a big difference, Lord, compared to to eternity and compared to knowing you, God, I ask that you would give us a sense of the urgency of your kingdom. Give us a sense of the urgency that we have in light of your imminent return. The Lord is at hand. Lord, let that be on our thoughts and on our hearts and on our lips. The Lord is at hand. God, help us to see our disagreements and the things that separate us through that lens of what you have done in our hearts and also what you are doing. And that, Lord, there is going to come a day when it all comes to an end. God, help us to number our days. Help us to measure our words and our actions by these truths. Lord, help us to think about the things that we are willing to fight about or the things that we so commonly divide over and see the trivialness of that. God, help us to be faithful messengers of your word. So, Lord, that others might come and find this same agreement in the Lord. So, God, that you would draw other people to yourself through us and that we will worship with them one day before the throne and say to the Lamb, holy, holy, holy. God, do all of this and use us, Lord, use us for your purposes to accomplish this end. God, make us your ambassadors. Give us the words to speak. Give us the the deeds to perform that others might see you. Lord, I ask that this city would look upon Riverview Baptist Church and they would see the gospel because they see our unity. And Lord, that they would see the dirt, that they would see kind of the mess that our lives can be. But Lord, that shining through all of that, they would see the unity that brings us together in Christ. Lord, that that would whet their appetites, that they would want some of that same thing, and that they would come to know you through the gospel. God, in whatever way you deem, use us to this end. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the, I think at the beginning of the fall, we started this singing this new song, Christ Be All. We closed with it last week, and we're going to close with it again this week because it's just such an appropriate song for the book of Philippians. Christ filling us, deriving our joy from him, him using us for his purposes. We've been seeing all of those themes throughout this study on Philippians. And so we want to ask you and invite you to stand, and let's close with this song, Christ Be All. God.
like to remind you to stick around right after the service. We're going to take that group picture really quickly. Some of you can come up on the platform in order to maintain that distance. You can fill some pews there and come up in front here as well. And we'll take the picture quickly from the, from the balcony and then uh, you'll be dismissed. And those of you who'd like to learn more about membership, head on over to my house and I'll see you there and we'll talk about that over lunch. Now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Come on forward.